Welcome to StoryWise, the podcast designed to give you the in-depth story behind some of our top storytellers as a way to inform, motivate, and inspire you to believe that you too can make your dreams a reality. My name is Jen Grisanti. I am the Story Career Consultant at Jen Grisanti Consultancy, Inc., a writer's consultancy designed to help you accomplish your writing goals and reach your career destination through one-on-one consults, seminars, and teleseminars. And I am so thrilled to have with me as my guest today, Aaron Korsh, who is the showrunner on the hit television series Suits, which is on USA. Let me tell you a little bit about Aaron. Aaron serves as executive producer showrunner on Suits, which will be going into its second season. When does it premiere? Uh, premieres next June. June. Okay. And, and you left them on major cliffhangers at the end of last season, so we'll get into that. Uh, Korsh began his television career in comedy, writing, individual episodes of Everybody Loves Raymond and Just Shoot Me, among others, before becoming a staff writer on Notes from the Underbelly. In between initially selling suits and its filming, he segued into one-hour drama as a staff writer on ABC's The Deep End. In creating Suits, Korsh relied on his collegiate experiences at the Wharton School and on his subsequent career as an investment banker in Manhattan during the late 1980s and early 1990s. In fact, Suits was originally set in the world of Wall Street until USA redeveloped it, placing the original characters in the procedural world of law. For this modification, Korsh relied on his long-standing love of legal procedurals with a character bent. In fact, were it not for his dedication to watching television versus doing actual schoolwork, suits would, be, would not exist today. Korsh was born and raised outside of Philadelphia. He attended the Wharton School at the University of Pennsylvania, where he received a B.S. in economics. So welcome. Thank you for having me. It is a pleasure to have you. First, let me tell you, I I loved, I loved the show. I loved the show. I loved the pilot. I thought the pilot was phenomenal. Thank you. I really did. So I'm really, I'm very excited to have you, and I'm very excited to get into everything that went into the origin of this show getting on the air, which I hear is is quite a story. First, I want to start with your story. I, I've heard, I've had a number of people tell me, oh my God, he has an amazing story, you have to hear it, of how he got to this point. So why don't you tell us about your story? Oh, I, wow. I, I don't know if I ever thought of it as amazing, but I'll, I'll happy to share okay. it with you. Um, yeah, I mean, I basically uh, grew up outside of Philadelphia, like you said, mm-hmm. and um, I... It's funny. I never knew what I wanted to do when I grew up, uh, unlike some people and unlike others. Um, so at the time, I was always kind of – I could do well in school and I thought, okay, I don't know what I want to do for a living, but I want to – I was lazy. I didn't want to work that hard. I watched a lot of television. I procrastinated a lot. So I thought, okay, I am kind of have a good mathematical mind. I'll go into Wharton. I'll get a job in finance. 
work for not that long, make a lot of money, and retire. That was my kind of idea. Of I like that plan. <laughs> it seemed like a good idea at yeah. the time. Um, so I did. I went to I went to Wharton. I graduated. I went to work uh, on Wall Street. And just as an aside, my first boss, the guy that gave me my first job, his name was Harvey. I worked for him. You know, oh, that's and great. And uh, I'll I'll say that the idea to have an interview in in a ho- fancy hotel was I was interviewed for that job in a Ritz Carlton. Wow. Um, and people asked me it was the night before the interview, what was I going to wear to the interview? And right. I, I didn't know. I was like, I'm. I have one suit. You know, blue suit pink shirt and a blue tie and everybody said you know you, you can't wear a pink shirt to an investment bank they won't hire you if you don't wear a white shirt and this is probably my first indication of it wasn't the right field for me but right. I said you know this is ridiculous I, I don't have a white shirt the interviews in the morning and if they don't want to hire me because I don't wear, want to wear a white shirt I don't want to work at that firm so I get to the interview Harvey opens the door He's wearing a blue suit, pink shirt, and a blue tie. Oh, my God. That's hysterical. It was great. I started laughing. He asked me, you know, what was so funny, <laughs> and I told him, and, you know, I knew I was going to get the job. We were going to hit it off uh, really well. So, anyway, I went to work on, on Wall Street. That that company, um, many of the names in the in the suits pilot were taken from people that I worked with in that company. Oh. Um, just in case I ever get sued, the characters were not based on those people, just the names. Right. Um, but anyway, so, you know, I worked there for a little bit. It, it, that, that company was not, um, it was in the late 80s and they were unable to raise money anymore. The markets had kind of turned. So we, I left there and went to work on another, for another company. Um, and after about three and a half years at the second one and probably a total of five years, um, I, I just didn't really like what I was doing every day. It was just not – it didn't appeal to me. It didn't – it was not good. Yeah, um, I can understand. Yeah, and the yeah. danger of being in that field is, you know, it starts to pay more and more money and then you're like, okay. You get stuck. You get stuck yeah. and it's like a golden handcuffs mm-hmm. and they give you a bonus at the end of the year. So just when you're getting sick of the job, they give you a lot of money and then you think, oh, okay, I'll just be another month or two. I can do this. Yeah, yeah. then you're sick of it in two months <laughs> yeah. but then you're two months into getting that next bonus and – so what happened was I had a friend that I had gone to college with, and he, he died uh, in a oh. kind of a freak. Uh, so that's the trigger. It was the trigger. Yeah. He, he drowned in the ocean. He was missing. It was it was horrible. We were wow. 25 years old. Wow. And it kind of, um, you know, you're 25. You don't necessarily, like, connect it right away. Yeah, you don't yeah. think about your mortality. Yeah. And you, don't, you don't connect what's happening right away. But in about within a year, I was like, I don't, I don't want to do this. I, I hate what I'm doing. It doesn't. Hate's a strong word, but right. it doesn't interest me at all. It's really hard, and you can die. Your life can end, and and then what did you do? You spent your whole life doing something you don't like. Right. So I I, I left, and uh, I used the time to do absolutely nothing uh, for a couple of years. I just kind of traveled around. I had saved you know some right. money. Right. Um, so that was a gift. It was a gift. Because that actually deepened your life experience for writing as well. It did. At the yeah. time, I felt like I was just procrastinating yeah. and playing a lot of basketball. But it, it does it, – it, look, it all feeds into that mm-hmm. stuff. Um, there may have been in college and during that time some experiences I had that played into Mike and his and his friend and the drugs. But I'm not going to go on record as saying right. that was definitely true. Right. Uh, um, right. So, so anyway, I did that. And then I kind of landed out in California. I'd always wanted to – live out here uh-huh. um, and I moved out here but I found myself doing you know more it was real estate investment banking another deal and then another deal and then I thought okay I don't I, uh, it was a good thing because I hadn't been working and I needed money and I wanted to move here but I'm doing the same thing in a nicer venue but I want to stop doing that so 
I, uh, you know, I had a couple of friends that were successful writers, mm-hmm. one of whom had gone to Wharton with me. Right. And he had switched over and was really shot up the ranks, became a showrunner within, I don't know, two Who or three years. Uh, John Pollock. Oh, great. Uh, he's, great. He, I think he's running uh, Up All Night right great. now. Great. So, you know, he switched over and, mm-hmm. and, and another friend, Dave Rosenthal, had started and gone straight into it. Um, and I thought, okay. I know these if two If they guys. can do it, I can I do it. I said, if these two idiots can do it, no. <laughs> the thing was is they were super smart and funny. Right. And I, but I thought they got into it and immediately were running show. I mean, they really shot up. Right. And I had not a lot of ambition. I just wanted to do it. I wanted to, I was like, if they can be at the top of this profession, I should be able to be at the bottom of it. Right. And I asked them both and they, you know, they thought I could do it, but they said, they both thought, you know, you've never, I had never written a thing in my life and I was like 30. Or 31, and they said, you know, you need to become a writer's assistant to learn how to do it. Right. And that's not always that easy to do. I didn't even know how to type at the time. Right. Um, so I, they said, get a job anywhere you can in any show and just just work as hard as you can, and they'll like you, and they'll promote you, and you'll you'll get become a writer's assistant. So I, I – They make just, it sound so easy. They made they? it sound <laughs> easy, but you know what? It was – it was hard to do, but yep. I persevered, and I ended up getting a PA job on Everybody Loves Raymond. Great. How did you do that? It, it was really – I just sent out like – I mean, I must have sent out, you know, 100 resumes to every right. show in town. Great. And it was Good just, for people to know. Exactly. Good. And and as you call – you know, you, you get a phone call. Somebody will say they hear about this, and sometimes it works out, sometimes it doesn't. But if you always have a good attitude, mm-hmm. people will keep you in mind. Right. And eventually someone called someone and said, hey – does that friend, you know, still? Here's a great person. Yeah. yeah. So I ended up going into the interview. The woman's name, uh, production coordinator, woman's name was Lorraine Shaw. And I remember she said, you're overqualified for this job. You're going to hate it. Uh, and she was skeptical. And uh-huh. I just said, listen, you know, I said, Lorraine, if you take a chance on me, I promise I won't let you down. You know, I'm going to work as as hard as you can. Being a PA is you know, it's more about having a great attitude than it's not it rocket science. And making a strong impression and being there to service others. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And not coming in the first second and saying, hey, can we this read my script? This is what I want. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, uh, so she took a chance on me. I will never forget it. Thank you, Lorraine. Oh, <laughs> that shout out to yeah. Lorraine. <laughs> I haven't talked to Lorraine in oh, over a decade. Oh, I love it. Um, and, you know, after a year, right. uh, uh, they were very kind to me on Everybody Loves Raymond, Phil Rosenthal, creator right. of that show. Um, he, the, the writer's assistants had not moved on. You know, it was just around the time when it was starting to get really hard to become a comedy writer. It was contracting. and Right. So I was hoping they would get staffed somewhere and I would take their place the next year and, and it's, that didn't happen. Right. So I volunteered. I went to Phil and I, I told him I would work for free and be a third writer's assistant. Uh, that is fantastic. Yeah. And, and it was very nice of him uh, to do it. And I looked at it like I'd rather not get paid and work than get paid. I was getting minimum wage to be a PA, but I wasn't I wasn't learning anything in the writer's room. Right. So he even – and then they went out of there the way. They even paid me part-time, and, and it was great. It was a family. It was terrific, and it was right. a couple of years. And they were very good about, you know, like giving you the chance to pitch and write a script, and they did, and I did. Um, How many scripts did you write? I, I only wrote one. Right, but that's great. Uh, but yeah, it was great. Pitch. That's great. And uh, unlike most TV shows or most of the other comedies I worked on, the room in its entirety would come up with a story right. and kind of assign it. Or, you know, you'd contribute to your own story, but but it was it was 
come up with collectively. Right. Uh, Raymond, you, you would pitch the story and they helped you and they would shape it and, you know, re-break it with you. But they would use a pitch that you that you did. Oh, that's great. Yeah. So it was a great first experience. Yeah. Um, and then after that, I mean, they, they, they didn't have a, a huge history of promoting writer mm-hmm. assistance. Um, I mean, by the way, they gave you more than, you know, unbelievable opportunities. But I ended up leaving there and, uh, you know, hoping I was going to get staffed somewhere. I didn't. And then I took another writer's assistant job. And it was it was actually a... Oh, this is good for people to know. I mean, it's this is not a, a profession that happens overnight, it, even though yours did happen quick to where you are now. Well, I wouldn't even really say it was that quick. I mean, this was my, I got the job at Raymond in 1998. Okay. So okay, and then, isn't that interesting? People make it sound that's yeah. interesting. No, it's it seems like it was fast, but right. 1998 I got the job. My first now I got my first script in 2000, and then right. and then I got another script. As a writer's assistant on Just Shoot Me in, I think it was 2002. Right. And then I got another freelance from uh, Adam Chase. I had developed so a relationship with So you paid your him. dues. Oh, yeah. yeah it took, I, I would say it took eight years to get my first staff job. Okay. And the truth is you're, you know, you're inside the room and you're a writer's assistant. And after a certain number of years, I think it's common for writer's assistants to get frustrated and think they deserve to be promoted. Right. And maybe even think they're more ready than one or two of the people that are that are in the room as writers. Right. But you that may or may not be true, but there's probably also someone when you do get promoted that's better than you that it didn't get a job. So it, right. you, you want to try not to focus on that and just keep put a, your best foot forward. Put your best foot forward because Period. Yeah. What, what what happened was like, you know, I was on just shoot me the the last year of it was on and I I I feel like I probably would have been promoted the next year. Right. No guarantees, but it went down. So then I had to take another writer's assistant job. And right. what starts to happen is you, you don't want to do it anymore. Yeah. You don't want to be viewed that way. And and you have to make a decision to either not do it and just write and let Hope the chips. Hope for the best. Yeah. yeah. Or if you're going to do it, you have to have a good attitude. Yeah. Because if you do it with a bad attitude, you're basically telling those 10 writers I have a bad attitude. Yeah. That, that's what they're going to think. You have to you. check your ego at the door. Check it at yeah. the door. And if you really go in there like that and say, look, I'm going to put my ego at the door and take my opportunities to contribute where they present themselves. Right. Those 10 people, eh, you know, eight of them might not notice. One or two of them might. And and, and in the future, there may be an opening. Another opportunity. Yeah. Exactly. So you, you do that. You have faith. It did work out for me, ultimately. I mean, the two staff jobs I had. My last writer assistant job was Kitchen Confidential. Yeah. Which was uh, run by Dave Hemmingson. Right. And a woman named Stacy Traub was on the staff of that show. Right. And then the next year, Stacy created Notes from the Underbelly and, right. and I was staffed on that. And that was a two year uh, show. And then the, the, See the next what staff having job. a good attitude gets <laughs> Exactly. Yeah. And, then, and then Dave Hemmingson, right. who I'd originally met on Just Shoot Me and I worked for him again on Kitchen Confidential. I worked for him on the deep end again as a staff writer. So, Great. Yeah. And and the other thing I'll say about that is it's it's eight years. During that time, you've got many yeah. periods of frustration. But when you finally do get promoted to staff writer, I had eight years of experience in yes. a room. Yeah. And a lot of staff writers have no years of experience in a room. Right. And if you, if you learn from that, it really puts you at a tremendous advantage. Right. Um, so it – it worked out really well. And then now that I'm I'm running my own show, I also got to see 
seven or eight different showrunners and how they all do it. Yeah. And every one of them has things you want to do like they do. Right. And every one of them has strengths things. Strengths and weaknesses. Yeah, that you don't. Yeah. And they're yeah. not even, and some of them are strengths and weaknesses and some of them are just like, that's my style, that's not my style. Right. Um, I, I personally loved, every showrunner I worked with I, I thought was great and I, there are a lot of even things. Even the challenging ones you learn from. Yeah. I mean. And I didn't even, you know, I never had, there's no showrunner I had that was not a, a, a fun, good person, pleasant that's, person. That's great. Yeah. I mean, there were different that's ones. That's rare. <laughs> that's great. <laughs> I've, I've heard it's rare, but yeah. I, you know, I only can go by my own experience. Yeah, definitely. Um, not, you know, this is not to say also I was a writer's assistant for a lot of them, so it's it's a different relationship yes, with your showrunner. Definitely. Um, but they all had different things that, that and then when what I didn't realize was at the time, you know, I was frustrated. But once I started, you know, using that experience, I was like, Oh, it's it's I was in the minor leagues for a long time and it helped me, I guess right. I would say. And then when you made this huge jump, Big then jump. it was like, okay, now I'm ready. So I get it. Yeah. I get it. But, I mean, I didn't even think now I'm ready. I mean, I kind of figured it out after right. we were done. All right, maybe right. I was ready. The, what I sometimes find, even to this day, I'll be in a meeting. Right. And I'll – I was so long an assistant, so right. I'm like – I'm in the meeting and I'm thinking, all right, somebody ought to start speaking. i got to start taking notes. And then right. I realize I'm the person that needs to start speaking. So. <laughs> I love it. That's fantastic. And now within that process, so you were, were you on the last show, The Deep? The, the Deep, Deep End, End, yeah, yeah. When Suits came. Uh, I, I, okay, I think I was on Notes from the Underbelly for two years and that went, we, we were cut short during the strike. Right. So when the strike was over, I had discussed with my agent, you know, what to do, what am I going to write. Right. And I told him all these stories about when I used to work on Wall Street and these characters, you know. And he he said, you know, you should write about that. Yeah. You write what you know. Yeah. So that's I, my that's my theme. You should know. Oh, that. yeah. Oh, I didn't my, even my, know that. Yeah, my book storyline, Finding Gold in Your Life Story, is all about drawing from your life and fictionalizing it into your writing. Ah, okay. Well, that's yeah. exactly. I yeah. mean, and and that's everybody loves Rain was huge on that. Right. Uh, Phil and 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 Steve Scroven used to tell me that a lot. Um, so, so you're speaking my language. Yeah. Oh, yeah. perfect. Perfect. Well, that's what he said, and <laughs> yeah. he was right. So, I mean, and when I wrote the pilot, you know, people were like, this is so, it seems so real. It's like, of course, you know, I'm writing a world that I lived, you know. Right, right. So so I wrote that after the strike was over. That's what I wrote, the spec script about it. And it was it was originally meant to be like a half-hour entourage type of feel. Right. And as I started writing it, it just, I realized this this is, should be an hour show. It should right. be. So it just came out. And um, it's kind of like an hour comedy. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think so. I mean, I, I, I don't. I've never loved the word dramedy. Right. I, I don't know why I don't love that word, but I consider most things like comedic dramas. I guess yeah. I would call it. Yeah. Um, and you know, different episodes have more and less uh, level of humor. Which is in good because you have more flexibility because yes. you could explore both. Yes, and yeah. I, I feel like what started happening to me. I mean, I love comedy, and I, you know, if I were lucky enough to get a half-hour job in comedy, I'd, I'd take one. Right. But, you know, the shows I tended to find myself starting to watch were, were hour-long shows, much more. Um, and because they're more like life, like they're 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 dramatic right. with, with moments of humor in them, right. like, like people are. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I have to admit, it's interesting. Like, I find with comedies now, of course, with Modern Family and 
the new girl and two broke girls and in different hybrids of comedy with Nurse Jackie and shows like that. It's certainly um, it seems like with the comedy world there when it went through the dry spell, a lot of comedies are not funny. So mm -hmm. I think that was the hardest thing, you know, and, and I think when. When you get so stuck in, certainly with multi-camera being all about the joke, yeah. the story suffers. Yeah. You know, so it is really nice to see comedy making a comeback and figuring out, like, what I think dramas have figured out as far as the value of comedy in the drama. Well, you I, know? I, I would agree with that statement. Yeah. And I would say, I mean, you, you kind of learn from your first show. Mm -hmm. I, I was, you know... I can't believe how lucky I was to for Everybody Loves Raymond to be my first show. And I know. That's fantastic. That's fantastic. And yeah. look, that show, it, it wasn't about – they were very funny joke writers. The right. jokes were very funny. But it wasn't just joke, joke, joke. It was it was grounded emotional stories. It was. And, I agree. And people are – it was funny because people are funny. Yeah. Not, not because jokes are funny. Yeah. And I loved everyone loved Brandon. Yeah, I did. Yeah, it was so good. So so, and to compare that to just shoot me, mm -hmm. which I think the actors are as you know were as good on both shows. Right. The jokes and the writing were as good on both shows. But Raymond was grounded in an emotional family that we all had. Yeah. Of some nature, and the other one was 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 jokes. Yeah. As good as it could ever be to me, it was never going to be yeah. as as powerful. And and to me. Interestingly, Steve Levitan does now Modern Family. Yeah. Modern Family is the updated, to me, Everybody Loves Raymond. Uh, yeah, I would agree with you. I would agree with you, and it's interesting that you say that because what I notice tonally about Suits that I love so much is that it's grounded in emotion mm. and looking at the dynamics between the characters. Like, I feel it. And I, I think that is such a tribute to your background and what you've drawn from as, and learned from other shows. Mm -hmm. and, and I think so. I actually think it's great that you had such a great background with Everyone Loves Raymond, Just Shoot Me, and then experiencing the deep end on ABC to have an idea of both worlds and really be able to go, okay, what do I want in this? But it sounds like even some of the tone in the story evolved as you were writing oh yeah oh, yeah. yeah it just kind of comes out of you and yeah. you, you 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 say oh i didn't know that that was kind of what was you discover it you know yeah. it's a process of discovery you know i went out last night with um one of our directors mike mike smith and uh right and uh john cowan one of the writer producers right and we were talking about there was a oh i love john cowan oh he's, he's, oh, he's fantastic <laughs> yeah we were talking about a moment in you know john had written yeah. and mike had directed the uh second to last episode we're talking about a moment uh, that Rick Hoffman, the actor that plays Lewis Litt, had, and you know, in the filming, there was there was a, a question of should he do it a, a more grounded take or or a broader take, uh, but it was it was not of a comedic moment; it was of a dramatic moment. Right. And they ended up going with the more grounded version. Right. And we were talking about how, in that character, because he he. he, he He's an interesting, you know, he's an incredibly interesting character. Yeah. And he can be really unlikable, but he can also be really funny. Right. And we were all saying that for us, having him be grounded on the serious stuff. Right. Gives him license to be broad in the funny stuff. Right. And that that's, you know, the way we want to do it because yeah. it really makes him like a real person and formidable. Yeah. But also, he can be silly and foolish and funny and, you know, it's, it's yeah. good. I think that's great. Now, character-wise, speaking of characters... Who, looking at Harvey, Mike, Trevor, who do you see yourself in the most? 
Uh, it's a good question. Um, it. I I don't really. I, I don't know that pieces I pieces of you and all of them. Yeah, I don't yeah. necessarily think of it that way. I mean, you know, look, definitely certain exterior attributes of Mike come right. come from my experience, and right. and um, some of it is. I mean, this thing was born out of my you, that first job you get out of college. The stakes are so high; it's so important. It, it feels that way, you know. Right. It's like Wall Street and twenty one years old, and it was around the time of the movie Wall Street, and everything was so. So important. you were succeeding at twenty one on Wall Street. Yeah, I mean, That's yeah. That's great. Oh, thank you. Yeah. Um, I mean, I didn't feel successful, yeah. but yeah. from the outside, it, it would have appeared that way. But but so his earnestness, and he's also, he brings to it a silliness that that we also, you know, wrote in there, and that was great. And so and, and some of it, you know, I had a good memory, not like he does. And I was What good. about the education twist? Where, where no, did I mean, that come from? Oh, well, where it came from was, I mean, okay, so that first job that I had out of, mm-hmm. out of college Harvey went to Wharton. He hired me because I went to Wharton. Right. They didn't have a rule like you can't hire somebody that didn't. But they had – the only people that worked there were you either went to Harvard, Yale, or Wharton. Right. And it was just like because the Harvard guys hired Harvard guys and the Yale guys hired – and the Wharton guys hired Wharton guys. So I, I just thought that was interesting to me. Like It is. Smart guys could have gone to other schools and you'd be missing them. Right. Not because right. of the rule. Right. I like that. Yeah. So I thought what wouldn't it be funny if somebody – pretend it, you know, and then yeah. it just kind of came from there. And the reason we just simplified it to just Harvard was just for a shorthand, you know. Right. Um, so that's, and then just, you know, an outsider and, and some of that was based on, so I went to, I went to Wharton and I, and I worked on Wall Street and I did have the education, but I always just felt, I felt like an outsider. Right. For some reason. So we gave him an external reason to be an outsider. But right. It came from me feeling like an outsider. I like it. Um, I did, you know. Look, I did smoke some some pot in college, uh, right, right, and 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 continued to on Wall Street. And it was just like, it's just weird. Like you're smoking pot, but you're working on Wall Street. They're at odds with each other. So that was born out of that. I mean, look, Harvey is. I have a side of me that is Harvey esque, but I don't actually speak like that. I right. just think like that. Right. Or maybe with my real close friends, I will. Pretend to be like that. Yeah, I was gonna say, how do who do your friends think you're the most like? I, you know, you'd have to ask them. I yeah, can't, but <laughs> I will say, I mean, look, I share traits with my brother, right? And I've definitely heard from some of the people that are growing up that they think Harvey is based on my brother. Oh, interesting. Um, and I'll just give an example of in the pilot when Harvey says, "You know, give you a chance." I I felt bad not to give you a chance to witness my greatness. Right. That is something that my brother would say when right. we were younger. You know, right. it's not the same. I now. love it. He used to sign. We were kids. He was a very good artist, and he would sign his artwork. I mean, when he was like fourteen, E. K. The Miraculous. His initials were E. K. So he was, you know, he had a healthy ego. Yes. So I kind of absorbed some of that, and also observed some of that. So I would Great. say, yeah. Great. Yeah. All right, so right now we are going to take a break, uh, and then when we come back, I want to get I want to get into the development of the show, like what that process was like for you at the studio and the network, as well as how you break story. Okay. And okay, so we are here with Aaron Korsh, who is the executive producer, showrunner on the hit TV series Suits. We will be back in a moment. You're listening to StoryWise with entertainment consultant Jen Grisanti. 
StoryWise is a podcast designed to give you the story behind the people who tell stories, offering you insight on what it takes to work as a writer in television and film. Hear this and other podcasts on www.jencrisanticonsultancy.com, a full-service writer consultancy committed to guiding your vision. We are back with Aaron Korsh talking about the show Suits. Um, so I'd, I've heard that uh, the development process of this show um, has an interest or interesting story as well. What is it? <laughs> um, Every show has a story yes, in yes. that process. And, and yeah. I would say by interesting, you mean long. Yeah. <laughs> um, <laughs> we, you know, we. I, was it long it was from long. the beginning I, it, to. Very, yes, yes. I mean, we had spoken about, I wrote the spec script uh, on Wall Street and it was, you know, it was very similar to the to the pilot that you see, but it took place in Wall Street and there wasn't a case. Like, right. So uh, uh, my agent had dealt with USA before and. Uh, had a relationship with Alex Sepiol, an executive there. And, yeah. And um, he, at the same time, had sent it out to many different pods, uh, producers on deals, and we were meeting different pods, and he'd also sent it at the same time to Alex. Right. And it turned out the first pod I met with was uh, Hypnotic, which is uh, Dave Bardis, Gene Klein, Doug Lyman. And uh, I met them, got along really well with them right off the bat. Mm -hmm. and, but, you know, as they were like, this is a first date. Go date some other women. See who you like. And you right, know. I love it. So they were ended up being, you know, my first choice. Um, but in addition, Alex was reading it, and you know, and and they happened to have an exclusive deal with USA, so it was a perfect fit. Right. And um, and USA was of the opinion, you know, my agent had said, look, you're going to love these characters, um, but it's not what you do. It's who is your agent? My agent's Dennis Kim at the Rock oh great, Agency. Dennis is great. I, I love Dennis. Yeah, shout um, out to Dennis. Good <laughs> stuff. All right. Um, and one of the things you know, Dennis has a very good relationship with people. He doesn't just yeah, he does. He, he doesn't lie. I to agree. Them. I agree. I adore Dennis. Well, so so Alex ha has told me, as other people have, like if he says read something, you'll like it. They believe him. Right. So Alex read it and he did. He said, Dennis, I love these characters. You are right. This is not what we do. Right. It would have been a serialized, you know, non case of the week procedural so their idea was if you can figure out a way how to take these characters mainly harvey and mike right put them in a franchisable world then we can we can talk about it so we did that and um you know if i had started the pilot in january of 08 and probably finished my spec final version in may right by the time we got to pitch it to usa it was september 13th right which i remember because they they bought it that day and it was you know a great day 2008 September 13th 2008 Wow and then the, and then I think the day we got the pickup to shoot the pilot was I think it was like May of 2010 Wow so and and it turns out that that's actually common when we yeah. sold the pilot they said yeah. like listen in plain it's sight a long process long process yeah. in plain sight was the other show my yeah. agent had sold. so the the thing is and you know we were talking about this Cable in, in general, I, but I don't know about everything, but USA, it's like they don't make t 25 pilots and put on two of them. You know, if they make your pilot, they want to put it on the air. So as opposed to greenlighting a pilot and then giving it a bunch of notes that necessitate sometimes a page one rewrite. Right. Which doesn't make a lot of sense if you think a thing needs a page one rewrite. Maybe you should see it before you decide you're going to make it or not. Right. USA takes the time on the front end and makes you, you know, they give you that 
They put it well, through its paces. And I would have to say, like having worked with USA on the 4400, mm. um, and I worked and loved working with Jackie DeCrenis, mm-hmm. who is a phenomenal executive, and Jeff Wachtel. Yep. We certainly know how passionate he gets about shows, and I think it shows. Yes. I think that is why, as you say, that they don't shoot a lot of pilots, and when they put a show on the air, they they really want to invest in oh, it. They, 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 yeah. they, they promote it, and, yeah. and, and, and you know, to be fair to the larger networks, USA doesn't have a full schedule that they need to keep you know, fully packed at right. all times. So part of it is their size allows them to do that. But yeah. but so on, on on the downside, you know, first of all, you sell a pilot to cable, it's probably not going to pay as much. Right. And it's going to take longer. Right. And if it doesn't go, you've taken longer and gotten paid less and it didn't go. Right. But, but it's odds of going. You know, they don't buy as many. Right. So if they buy it, they really want to make it. And if they make it, they really want to put it on the air. Right. If they put it on the air, they are going to promote it and back it and – it's fantastic. Ah, that's a good way to look at it. That's great. Great promo for cable shows. <laughs> Love that. And, and that's I, great. I will I will give you know credit to Jeff, Jackie, Bill McGoldrick, Alex. Right. Um they they're a pleasure to work with. They're also, you know, they don't have a thousand projects, so like they're dealing with you. They love your project. Right. That's like a given. Right. You can have disagreements with them, but they, they're yeah. very thoughtful. All par for the course. Yes. It's your yes. baby. Of course, of yeah. course. But the disagreements are like taste things. They're yeah. never you never get a note from them. Every note you get from them, you're like, I may disagree, I may agree, but it's never like that's that's not a smart note. Right. And it's you know, it's a pleasure working with them. I oh, say. that's good. That's good. Okay. No, that was a great I love that summation of of the whole experience. I think that's terrific. Formula-wise on the show, like when you think about how you wrote the pilot and then how you saw the series, would you say the formula was something that you kind of picked up in writing the pilot or you kind of defined as you went into the process of making this series? Um, again, a good question. I mean, the pilot is a little bit different because it's, you know, 90 minutes in the in series is, is an hour. And the pilot was... Pilot was its own thing, I guess I would say. Yeah. And the first half hour-ish stayed pretty much the same from the original, and then you got into the case. Right. And I think, I guess what I learned in the pilot was, you know, again, USA is different from most other places. They really let you spend a lot of time on things that are not about the case. Right. And there were a lot of different storylines that, you know, were not case-related with Trevor and Weed and right. Jenny. And, um, so... What we had to relearn in series, I think, was how to do that again and not make the cases too too case-heavy, I guess I would say. Right. A lot of the rewriting I did during the course of the first season was thinning out case. Right. And letting us have... I like it. Yeah, and letting us have character moments and story. And I think that's where my... Being in comedy can serve you well because you right. can have a story that's about, say... I'll use an example, episode six, Lewis, Litt, and Jessica, and it's just about them... Getting tickets and Harvey making her take him out to the right you know, the ballet. It's it's not a it's not a hard case. Yeah. Um. So that emerged. You know, we had to relearn. I would say during the course of the season how to tell stories for this show. Right. And then it was still evolving. Well, knowing that, I mean, it sounds like I also covered the show at, when I was at CBS Paramount NCIS, mm-hmm. and it sounds like NCIS. What was so fascinating to me, like when I first got the job there. I um I had to watch like 20 episodes because the first year had already gone. 
And it was fascinating for me looking at the formula because I thought it was so well written in the sense that it really, I would say, 30% was about the case mm. that came in and 70%, 60 to 70% was about the banter that the case brought into the character. Yes, yes. You know? And I would say for us, I mean, it's 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 banter, absolutely. And also, like, how does the case reflect on... Thematically, yeah. Yeah, thematically, but also on what the character, you know, I'll use as an example. I mean, uh, uh, I think it was the third to last episode of the season, uh, uh Sean Jablonski had an idea. He'd read, I think he'd read an article about a guy that had pretended. He'd lied on his resume. Right. And it was the guy who'd been working there 20 years or something and was going to get fired because he lied on his resume. And wow. It's a ra- rampant problem. Great story. In real life. And, and we were like, wow. So Mike has to fire a guy that, right. that lied on his resume. Right. So to us, it was like, okay, the, the inner workings of the case to, yeah. to me were less important than the the – what that's going to lead to and what it ultimately ended up leading to yeah. was was him saying to Harvey, like, why did you hire me? So that's that's to me the purpose it. of yes. the cases. I love that. You have one of my favorite young voices over there, Rick Moraghi, ah. as a former writers on the verge. And I, I loved his episodes. Yeah, yeah, no, Rick is fantastic. Yeah. I, you know, everybody. You got a great staff. Great staff. Yeah, you great got staff. a really, really great writing staff. Speaking of which, how did you select your writing staff, and what was it like for you to be on the staffing process? Ah, uh, we select, selected them totally at random, just through kind of darts at the board. And no, um, <laughs> what we did was that would be terrible. You can't do that. Um, what we did was, we, you know, you read, you read a ton right. of scripts. Um, what did you read? Like, what did you like reading for this show? Uh, you know, look, the, my pod would also kind of screen the process, and they kind of like reading original material. Yeah. I wouldn't say that I have to do that, but it's not a bad idea, especially if it's a spec and I don't watch the show. That's not right. great. Right. So I ended up almost exclusively reading original material. Some great. Of which, good for people to know. Good to know. And some of which, by the way, it could be a short story. It could be a play. It doesn't have to be. Great. I don't love reading movies just because they're so long. Right. Um, but I mean. I tell people to write one acts. Yeah, I mean, yeah. one act play is yeah. great. You know, we just, uh, I don't know if the deal closed, but I, I, it did, I believe, but I'll not. You just hired the name somebody yet. who wrote somebody a one, who wrote act. A one right. act play. Right. And, and last year we had uh, 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 Erica Lopez, our staff writer, who was uh, unbelievable. Great. Uh, hired her not on a one act play, a long 118 page play that I had to read. Mm. Thank you, Erica. Wow. <laughs> uh, so it, it must have been a great play. It was great. It was yeah. great. And I, say, I love plays. Yeah, yeah. And they're great. Yeah. And actually, a play is not a movie, so it's yes. it's about the same reading time as a, as a pilot. But uh, so we read a ton of things. Uh, Rick, it's funny you mentioned Rick Moraghi was the one writer that I knew before hiring him. I'd known him just socially. Oh, great! Always loved Rick. Uh, right. But he he wrote a spec pilot that was great. Um, so that's what we did. I mean, we read a lot of pilots and met a lot Which of people. Which pilot do you remember? Uh, I don't remember what the name of it was. I think it was was the one. It was about early Hollywood. He wrote that in Writers on the Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Terrific, terrific pilot. Yeah. Um, And, um, or actually, I'm trying to think if we wrote full pilots in or if he just pitched the outline. I forget, but um, I, I'm I I read the script. That is a great script. It's great. It's yeah. great. And 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 um, Ethan Drogan. I'll I'll name our writers. Eric right. Lopez. Ethan Drogan wrote an amazing pilot, which when I read it. 
I, Aww, I said to myself, "Nice shout out." I'm glad. Out. Yeah, well, I said, yeah. I'm, "I'm glad USA read mine before they read his because it was a similar ma- subject matter." Really? Yeah, and it had sold. His pilot had actually sold, and for whatever reason, didn't get made. But it was great. Uh, John Cowan, great pilot. Right. Uh, Sean Jablonski, great pilot. Right. Um, and that was that was the staff. Right. Really great staff. I'm very familiar with all of them. So that other than your your lower level one, mm. um, that is great. And I love playwrights. Um, and how has that worked out? Are you bringing everybody back? Every, everybody except is, for Sean. Everybody, and we'll get into yes, that. Okay. Yeah. Um, yes, everyone is coming back. And um, I would also say, by the way, it didn't hurt. Eric and Ethan both actually went to Harvard. Right. And you know, now that I've right? worked with them, I'll say. Harvard people are pretty smart. Yes. Um, yes. And, and they have an, a knowledge of the world of Harvard. Yeah. Um, and Ethan also had prior experience. He was a business consultant. Yeah. And, you know, I've tried to keep some of the flavor of the Wall Street with the finance and those kind of things going on. And, yeah. and that's a good background to have. Erica happens to have her father's a judge or, like, I think her brother or sister are lawyers. Right. So she she just has a lot of inside great pitches regarding law firms and she had the idea for the mock trial right. and things of that nature. Yeah. Um so everyone came back I I mean I'll say Sean was hired to oversee me. Right. Um and help me kind of get my my sea legs. Right. And did an amazing job at it. Right. Um Sean was the original showrunner. Original showrunner. Right. And and USA I think is a little different than most other places that they're very, very supportive of the creator. Right. And I think maybe on a, a CBS or someone else, I'm not sure, but it might be more like they're bringing in a showrunner and you pretty much work for them and that's how it goes. Right. Um, USA, it is it is their goal to bring in someone that's going to help you blossom and be able to take over the show. And right. I think almost every time in the second year, the creator you know, steps up and is able to do that. Right. So Sean came in, did an amazing job of doing that. Right. Um, you know, in the creative process, we worked to, you know, we would come at it in different ways, but it always, we would push each other to make it better. Um, and and not- as the creator, like, it's your vision and your baby, so it's never easy yes. to have somebody else come in and put their voice in your vision. Exactly. Yeah. And, and I would say from the other person's perspective, mm-hmm. you know, having more experience and knowing more, it might not be easy to say when you know, like, basically this this rookie doesn't know what they're doing. Um, but, we, I mean, I would say all of our, you know, our relationship was very – any kind of issues that we had were uh, uh, on the table, I right. would say. So we would right. discuss. We'd have a lot of talks and discussions and communication was, was key. Right. Um, and And – you know, hopefully it it ended in a in a in a great year of of work, and then you know I felt like well, I think we both felt like I was ready to step up, and you know Sean warrants and deserves to to run his own show, which he got I believe hired he's to do. ready for it. absolutely, yeah. and, and I, he just yes. got hired uh, uh, for a new star show. Oh, great! So, yeah. Did he? Yeah. Oh, yeah. Fan- that that he created. He didn't create it, but I think the creator. I. I he came over, but the creator uh, was having some difficulties. He's stepping in, so he's Great. he's essentially recreating. I wonder if this is the new star show that I heard after Boss that, that I think is coming out in January. I forget, but someone told me about it today. I forget the yeah, name I forget of the, the name show. of it yeah. too. Yeah, okay. Um, but you, you know, I would highly recommend 
an experience like like the one I had. And you know, it has its it has its struggles. At like you say, you're you want to do something, someone's comes in, but if you if you keep your lines of communication open, it's it's really good. And and in some ways, it forces you to kind of stand behind what what you think you should do, and also listen to what someone else has to say. Right. I'm going to ask a hard question. How quickly did the network step up to the plate of backing you when the decision was made as far as him leaving? Well, the, I would say from, from as I said, USA right. from day one is always like they are, they back, they, they, their notion always is to back the creator. So right. I don't know, I would say from the beginning it was always, right. the, the notion was, you know, if you're ready because to step I mean, let's be honest. It, it the you you know you went. You didn't have to go through the ranks of being a story editor, yes, executive yes. story editor, yes. co-producer, producer, supervising producer, co-executive producer. So it would be logical that at first there would be hesitation. Absolutely. And then, uh, but and and I I have to be honest with you. I love that the choice. Was made to make you oh, show. Well, I, I appreciate yeah. that. I, mean, I think look, it's fantastic. What I would say is, I mean, Sean was great about allowing me to grow into that role in the course of the year. So right. he helped make it evident to them that I was ready. Great. Like, he wasn't hiding. Oh, that's yeah, such yeah. a nice thing to say. Oh, oh that's uh, a really nice thing to say. W- without a doubt. Yeah. I mean, that, that's one of the things why, you know, uh, reason... I was lucky to have a person like Sean. I mean, sometimes people don't, mm-hmm. they don't allow, I'd heard situations where some people. I've seen them. Yeah. yeah. Like I've seen it happen. <laughs> I'm going to say in my 15 years of working at the studios, there were two shows where I saw that were created by relatively new people. Mm-hmm. And both people lost their jobs within the first year. Oh, wow. That the show, by because a showrunner was brought in and they just butt heads. Butt heads, and, yeah. And yeah. that's part of the process. Now, I always say to people, it's not a bad gig to have happen because you have created by credit. Yeah, so yeah. you continue. But it, and so it, I think it's very empowering to hear your story to where somebody was brought in, they coached you, they taught you what you needed to know. And now it's your turn. It's your time up to bat. Yeah. No. And, you know, and I think, I mean, as I say, in in a USA show, they're so they're set up to do it that way. Right. Um, And I think most of their shows, uh, I might have. The funny thing is I was only ever a staff writer, though. I was staffed for three years. So in 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 times when they were better, I would have been probably like a co-producer by that time. Right. When you move up. Right. You're right. When you put the eight years. The eight years. Yeah. yeah, Not even counting the assistant stuff. Yes. But but I might have been the most in spite of that, I still might have been like the most experienced. I'm I'm not sure. But like, I don't think Andrew Lanchewski had ever staffed on Royal Pains and a lot of their people. So they're very comfortable with like, we want the creator's voice. Yes. And they want to get someone that understands that they don't want to. They don't want you taking over the show. They want you helping that person. Yes. So because they give that kind of vibe or whatever you want yeah. to call it from the top, it makes it like that's how it's going to yeah. go. Yeah. And they believe in you, and that's huge. Yeah, it's huge. That's it's huge. great. Now, uh, I know we only have time for a few more questions. Your, How would you say you bring your voice into the writer's room? Hmm. Um. I think you bring it in there in, in, in various ways. I mean, 
there's bringing it into the room and there's bringing it into the show. So some ways you bring it into the show, you you do some rewriting. Mm -hmm. But I think like, you know, as you said, like which of these characters are like me? Like, if if you were to spend enough time with me, like you'll Gabriel. One time we were Gabriel Mock plays Harvey. Right. We were shooting the pilot and we were talking about something, and I said something super cocky to him. I don't remember just a joke about something. And he looks at me, he goes, "There's Harvey right there." Right. So right. it's like just spend time. You'll see different. Yes. aspects of the different things. But when we're talking about a story or a character or a point, if something either strikes me as like, I love that, mm-hmm. I'll try to say, I love that and here's why I love it. Right. And and say, because it shows this character trait of Mike that I feel that he has and something like that. Or in the other way, if I don't like something, I'll say, look, I don't like that because I don't think, you know, there was something early on, I think I remember, Harvey... You know, with women, say he will be successful with women, and they love him, but he doesn't brag about it. Yes, to to others, right? Because that would be, and he doesn't sleep with someone in the office. Yes, 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 nobody in the yes. office, and, and yes. he doesn't sleep with married women. So I, I like that. Yeah. I gotta be honest. <laughs> I, as a woman, I love that. Yeah, I think that's great. And and I would say, look, if I were, I'm not Harvey, so if right. I if I I'm married now, but if right. I were to sleep with a, a good-looking woman, I might tell the world about it. But right. I'm like, I don't want my hero to be doing that. Right, so, right. so I'll just say that. They'll come up and hopefully you have a consistent view of your characters and that's how yeah. that voice gets in the... What about the triangle? The triangle, had, did that come from personal experience? Oh, the triangle just came from, you know, I, I, I you know, it's being a fan of shows, I would say going back to, well, Cheers had a sort of a triangle. Yes. Um, Sometimes it isn't even a triangle, but it's almost like a will they or won't they type of thing. Right. Um, so, the tension. Yeah. Yeah. The tension yeah. of that. I mean, I was a huge Sam and Diane was like the, right. the seminal relationship. So, and 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 you know, I saw the Jenny character as it just as a good way to keep you know. And to my mind, Mike and Rachel were the ones that I was going to be rooting for. Right. But you know, Jenny, he knew her first, and yeah, and it's 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 a thing to. You know, I think it gets people mad about it, but it's like, you, do you want to be mad or do you want to be bored? Like, yeah. you know, so that's what it I keeps think. them on their toes. Yes, yes. So I think that's good. All right. So for our last question, um, which you could give more than one answer, if you were to give advice to new writers, to writers who are in the process of going from one show to another, um, what advice would you give? Uh, to new writers that have not been staffed? Um, yeah, why don't we start there? Yeah. And then we'll start, yeah. Okay. I mean, for me, if you haven't been staffed, it's, it's it's you know, it's a tough road. Like uh, Steve Scrovan and Everybody Loves Raymond Writer, I went to lunch with him once when I was on the verge of giving up. It was right. maybe see- the seventh year of assistant. And he said to me, he told me the story that Hollywood is set up to, to basically tell you, thanks for coming, why don't you go home? Like the, it's that yeah. message is sent to you a lot. Yeah. And he said, you know, the people that make it are the people that say, you know, I'm not going home. And you just persevere. Right. That's a catch-22 because as time goes by and you're not making it, you know, you, that mind plays tricks on you. Like, well, what if I don't ever make it and how? what am I going to have to fall back on? And Yeah. But perseverance is, is obviously key. Huge quality, yeah. Maintaining a positive attitude. Mm-hmm. In spite, and, and, you know, I... It's easy for me to say now. Believe me, there were plenty of times when I'd call up Dennis Kim and say, hey, Dennis, 
Right. right <laughs> I'm right. never going to make it. Isn't that the truth? That um, doesn't go away, though. No, it doesn't no go away. No matter how high you get, I can tell you I've had showrunners, whether no matter what level, who have been ready to jump off cliffs after getting notes. It's, oh, it's, yeah, yeah, you yeah. Know? But and, yes, yes. And and believe me, last year was, it was a t- you know, it's tough to mm-hmm. create a show and, 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 you know, go through that in a year one. But I mean, so perseverance is one thing. And I would also say, like, look, if you don't write, you're not going to get staffed. Mm-hmm. It's very difficult. You know, you you want to you can either take the assistant route or be a playwright. Or there are many different routes to go. I love the assistant route, but it's got its pluses and minuses. Yes. But a lot of people think, okay, I'm doing this. I took the assistant route. I just need to wait it out, and then I'll get the job. Like, yeah. It is a competitive industry, and you want to keep writing. I, I know a lot of people that just. I agree. They get distracted. They get down. They don't write. You, yeah. you gotta keep writing. Right. The practice has to continue. Yes. So first of all, so that you'll be able to do it if you mm-hmm. do get the shot, but also like somebody's gonna want to see more than one script out of mm-hmm. you. And if you keep plugging away, that's one more chance that you're likely to write that thing that gets your show bought and mm-hmm. changes your life. Yep. So that's that's what I would say. All right. And now as far as writers who are on shows who want to create longevity. From what you have experienced so far in your own mind, strategy-wise, mm. how would you suggest or what have you experienced that are some good tips good on tips. creating longevity? Well, I mean, look. we Attitude, we know. Attitude's yeah. huge, yeah. right? You yeah. want to be, if, you know, you, you everybody is who they are, so you mm. can only, you know, change it so much. But having a good attitude and being a fun presence is, is a huge thing. Yes. Um, also, I think... I mean, I, I make a lot of sports analogies in writing, but it's like you want to play within yourself, so to speak. So if you're a staff writer, you know, I learned, this is the things I learned in, as an assistant, you don't want to be shooting down other people's pitches in the lower end of the hierarchy. Right. And if you think someone's idea is not great, someone else is going to say that, first of all. Right. But also, if you must say, don't, mention that their idea isn't great just pitch an alternative idea that's like oh how about this they won't know that you didn't like their idea because sometimes somebody could pitch something that you love their idea but you also pitch an alternative tweak on it because you want to improve they it they could make so, it better yeah right so I, I i would always just try to pitch from a positive perspective instead right. of from a negative one i love that you don't have to put somebody down in order to suggest something better yes or yeah. or someone or some or some idea. Either. Yeah. Um, you know, I, I think, and look, for me, when I was at the lower level, and I talk about it, and I'm still friends with Stacy, uh, trial, my first showrunner, and sometimes sh- she'll say something like, oh, we shouldn't have done that, or we should have done that. And I said, yeah, I, I, I thought that at the time. And she's <laughs> like, well, you should have said something. And I said, I did once uh, because I was a staff writer. Right. And, and if there's 15 people in a room, even if you've got a great idea, like if you say it once, maybe twice, it even if you're right, it it doesn't help to let it go. Let it go. Yeah. So, and then the higher up you go, the more you know you earn more right. And I mean, I learned from the assistant level, if when you say something, people love it, or you let it go, or that subconsciously they're like, when that person speaks, they say smart things, or they, you know, they don't. It just creates goodwill and their impression of you is made um oh the other thing i would say is and this might sound surprising since i talked so much in this interview don't 
say things just because you feel like you haven't said something in a while. Don't talk just to talk. Exactly. Yeah. Because if you talk five times in, in, in a month and everything you said was great, that's what people are going to think. Yes. If you speak just with nothing to say, people are going to think you talk with nothing to say. I think that's excellent advice. This has been fantastic. Thank you so much. I so appreciate your your honesty and your openness and sharing your story with us. I know everyone is going to love it. <laughs> I know there's been great anticipation for this interview. So I want to thank you so much for joining us and taking time away from your family. I know you have a new baby. Oh, thank you. Congratulations <laughs> on that. That's Cooper. wonderful. Cooper. <laughs> you, Cooper oh, Bush. how wonderful. Quickly, and then we're and then we're over. Is so having a baby is yes. has that deepened the writing experience? Would you uh, say? You know, before I answer that question, I now am reminded. Uh, I owe everything to my wife, every single thing to my Aww. wife, and I'm not just saying that because she made me say that. Right, <laughs> right. Um, no, I kid. Having a baby deepens I it. I love that oh. though. That was nice. <laughs> Thank you. Um, no, and and my my wife and child. They both they make it a challenge mm -hmm. because you it forces you to balance your life. You know, mm -hmm. you, I would have a tendency to probably just go insane on this show and never think about anything. So they force you to balance your life. But in addition, I would also say just the support and and talking about not just stories, but just my wife is a therapist, so she's great at at, at that type of thing. Oh, great! Me, yeah, decide how to deal with things. Um, but yeah, I mean, you think about yeah, it adds dimension. Just just. The funny things that that he does and that we talk about with him and uh, keeps you present. Probably. Yes, very yeah. much so. Yeah, that is great. Well, on that note, we are out with Aaron Korsh. This is Jen Grisanti of Jen Grisanti Consultancy Inc. and Storywise Podcast, and want to give a shout out to TVTracker.com. Uh, this is a great website if you want information on shows, their staffs, what's in development. Uh, you can go to www.tvtracker.com. And one thing to bring up that I would love for you to keep an eye out for is I am going to have a new premium story subscription that will be available on my website. This subscription is a way to keep writers in a daily writing practice and help them build their portfolios and give story tips. And you'll also get a 15-minute pitch every month. You get to uh, give two to five log lines every month that I will review. So everything is on my website. I'm very excited about it. My website is www.jengrisanticonsultancy.com. Thanks so much for joining us. You've been listening to StoryWise with Jen Grisanti. If you're looking to get to the next step in your career and need a guide who has been there and knows what it takes, go to www.jengrisanticonsultancy.com. On the website, you can also find the latest on writing programs, feature film festivals, and other writing competitions. This podcast was recorded at the studios of Icebox Logic.